Will you join me in prayer? Holy One, especially on this day, we call upon you to be present here through the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, through the actions of our lives, that we indeed may be imbued with your Holy Spirit, that we may indeed know that power which you grant to us. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, my friends, if you've read the Bible at all, you know that it is full of peculiar stories. Many of them are mysterious miracles for which we have no accounting and yet which move our hearts and stir our souls. This scripture this morning from the book of Acts, right near the very beginning of the book of Acts, is for me one of the most peculiar of the stories. I want you to imagine yourself a first century Christian who is in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks, also known as Shavuot in the Jewish tradition. It is the feast and festival when the Jewish people celebrated the harvest of the grain, but it also harks back to ancient scripture. It is known to us as Pentecost because it was 50 days after the resurrection. There we are in this house in Jerusalem. Now remember, the houses of that day did not have windows on them. They might have had fabric hanging at the door. If the family was particularly wealthy, they may have had mats or perhaps a rug, a carpet on the floor. But generally speaking, it was a dirt floor. And there all were gathered. Scripture is clear that those who were gathered were the apostles and the disciples, men and women, that they had come together for this time. And there, as they are gathered, trying to make sense of these 50 days and all the days that preceded, speaking of their grief on their loss of Jesus, speaking of the words that he had said to them about what the future would hold, but mostly simply wanting to be together. You know that experience when you are grieving. You want to be with others who share that grief. And so they are in this house, which I presume, given the numbers of them that there must have been, it must have been a fairly substantial house, not just a little cottage kind of space, but neither was it a mansion. And as they are pondering and grieving and talking quietly, all of a sudden, through the windows and the door, comes this violent wind. I read that to mean gale force. I mean that to be a wind which carries a loud rushing sound. Uh, can you imagine being there? 
when that happens? Would the hair have stood up on the back of your neck? Would you have trembled and wondered what is going on? And then, to top it off, they have this experience of of these flames that are hovering all around the room. They must have been red and orange and yellow. Something was happening in that room, in that space, that they could not account for. And so they spoke of them as, as tongues of fire. And that those flames came from above and their experience was that they settled upon them. They hovered over them. Did I say this was a peculiar story? This is a peculiar story. And yet, as I thought about it, I was thinking about yours and my experience of how when we have peculiar experiences, we try to figure out how to describe them. We say things like, well, it was as though, or it was like, and that is part of what is happening here. There, the description is one that speaks of the power and force of the wind and of the descent of this warmth, this heat that inhabited them. So what happens next? These people speak Aramaic and Hebrew. Those are their natural languages that they've grown up with. And all of a sudden, they begin to speak in languages that they don't know. Peculiar? I think so. And they're speaking in the languages of all those people whose names you never want to have to pronounce when you're reading scripture. (laughs) You know the ones I mean? (laughs) The Parthians and Medes and Cappadocians are the easiest among them but they're speaking in Greek and Turkish and Arabic and all the languages of this metropolis called Jerusalem. How did they feel to open their mouths and suddenly discover that they were speaking in a language they didn't even understand and speaking not gibberish, but speaking God's word, Christ's message, the Holy Spirit's presence to those who needed to hear it in their own languages. Whoa! What kind of experience was that? Can you imagine yourself suddenly speaking Bantu? Swahili, German, maybe some of you can imagine German, maybe some of you can imagine Bantu and Swahili, but can you imagine speaking a language you never knew you had the capacity to speak? Then they remember, as it's recounted in the very first verses of the book of Acts, that Jesus had told them 
that after he departed, he would ensure God would send the Holy Spirit upon them so that they could have the power to become Christ's witnesses in all the world. Christ's witnesses to all the inhabited earth. And they must have sat there thinking, oh, is this what he meant? That I suddenly have the power to carry his message to people in languages that I never even knew. Wow! That's why this is a peculiar story. Because of the power what is often described as the wonder-working power of the Holy Spirit, descending upon these who had tried to be so faithful to Jesus, knitting them together as a community. Notice that this presence of the Holy Spirit came to them as a gathered community. God had the power, of course, for them each to have this experience privately in their own home or walking down a road. But that's not how God gave the power. God gave the power to the community and to them in community. And that's why this is called the birthday of the Christian church. So now that they have experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to change their lives, their speech, their ability to communicate, their very being, what are they going to do with that power? And that's where we turn to Isaiah. Thank you, Lara, for reading that so beautifully. And thank you, too, for your Pentecost hair. (laughs) So we turn back to Isaiah, one of the most important passages in the entire Hebrew Scriptures, where Isaiah lays out this vision of a new Jerusalem, of a new community, of a new urban setting, a new life for all people. And that vision is one that sustains us today. That text tells us that we have the possibility and God's vision of a new way of living together on this earth. And oh, do we need that vision now. I want to invite you to take that scripture with you home and read it every day this week. Let it become the presence of the Holy Spirit in you so that you can live according to that text. Because what does Isaiah say? Isaiah says that God is going to create a new Jerusalem, a a way of our living together in which children Don't die early. In which 
old people are respected and expected to live to the end of their days. A world in which one does not build and others inhabit and the one who built be homeless. And one does not plant so that others can eat but him or herself go hungry. It is a powerful vision of what we can be together. And that's the word that needs to be carried to this world today. It is a word of hope, a word of healing, a word of justice, and a word of peace. It offers potential and possibility. You know what? The one place that can make that happen is the Christian church. If we are convicted of Christ's message and Isaiah's New Jerusalem, we can be transformed into vessels that will carry that witness to all the earth. We will live it in our lives and we will speak the words We will find the language and the words that can reach those who don't yet get it. Not necessarily to convert them to Christianity, but to help them know the power of peace and hope. It's all about love, after all. That's what the New Jerusalem is about. And that's what the power of the Holy Spirit can do for all of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we've been in life, no matter where we're going. We are indeed inhabited by the Holy Spirit. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Amen.